My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page 2 Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. In today's episode, the finale of what I'm calling Season 1 of the Page 2 Podcast, we talk with none other than Ross Hudgens founder and CEO of Siege Media. We cover his beginnings in the SEO world centering around link building around the time of Penguin, how he went from beginning his career on the corporate side to founding his own company, the challenges of being a business owner and entrepreneur, We also discuss the Siege Media video content strategy, how their amazing studio and video production quality comes together, if he ever feels any pressure being the face of most of the videos, and much more. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Ross's SEO story. Hey, everybody. I am here for the, and Ross doesn't know this, but this is the finale episode of what I'm calling season one of the page two podcast. And Ross, if you don't know him, founder and CEO of Siege Media. How are you doing, Ross? Good. How are you, Jacob? I am, uh, I'm doing great. And sorry to, to kind of spring that on you. We've got some, uh, we've got some big things planned for the, for the podcast that'll kind of come in quote unquote season two, but, um, you're the, you're the finale. So no, no pressure. Wow. That's rough. (laughs) Cool, man. Uh, so thank you for joining me all the way from sunny California. Uh, most of, most of my guests recently have been from the Raleigh area, which is currently just getting pounded by a hurricane. Uh, so you are in sunny San Diego. Yes. We're spoiled here. We, we, get upset if it rains for like half a second or if it's 80 if it's 85 it's like too hot and people are just panicking in the streets right perfect perfect weather (laughs) so let me just dive right in so i think the 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 big thing about this podcast is it's all about asking the questions that i i think people don't necessarily think to to ask there are a lot of other podcasts out there that really focus on the the knowledge sharing aspect and that's what i want to like of course i want to talk about that but the the thing that i want to understand are people's backgrounds how did you come into this world that is seo and digital marketing and uh, in your case content marketing as well um what is your background what made you get into into this industry yeah, uh, I just in college was working at a pharmaceutical agency, and basically what we had to do was um, scan documents. So I scanned documents just for like fifteen an hour, and had a CEO at that small company. He was really nice, knew I was a marketing major, and said, "Market our website." So googled some stuff, naturally found SEO, um, and started doing some really bad SEO for the website. <laughs> Learned a little and realized it was kind of interesting. Found an internship, uh, used that internship to kind of find another job with Sujin Patel, um, who many people know mm-hmm. uh, of Ramp Ventures and at that time Single Grain. Um, and he's a great guy to follow. I suggest checking out. He now runs SaaS, uh, uh, some micro SaaS companies and is a friend in Austin. But anyways, he got me a start in the industry. And long story, like that got me going to SEO. That was old school SEO, like 10 or so years ago now. 
Um, Penguin, Google Penguin for the veterans, and hopefully everyone knows what Penguin is, but uh, that, that hit when I was in-house at another company after that, and I was always kind of doing link building at scale and blogging on the side just because I enjoyed SEO and things like that. So I kind of natural blogging sense. Penguin hit, felt like the industry was changing. And that, um, I felt like the company I was in, I wasn't super stoked on the long-term future. Uh, and also I had a manager who was micromanaging me. So I, I quit and uh, yeah, I saw the industry changing. So I stopped doing paid link building almost uh, completely and shifted to content marketing, which is where, where the industry was shifting. And I think we kind of got on the ground floor there and um, rest is, is history, as they say. So I, so I do find it amazing that um, being in the industry for 10 or maybe 15 years qualifies us as both being kind of grizzled veteran, <laughs> veterans. But when I think about like my, you know, my parents, they, they talk about being at a job for 30 or, or 40 years and, and, you know, kind of doing their, doing their thing. And I just can't imagine myself, uh, you know, 25 years from now still kind of doing this I don't even know if SEO is going to, going to exist 20, 25 years from now. I'm sure it will exist in some way, shape or form, but uh, it's amazing how rapidly the industry has developed and how it's so new that you can have been in it for in, in, I, I guess in the microcosm of, of like all things like a relatively small amount of time yet have experienced so much. Like how does that, how does that sit with you? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I remember for a time, people would say all the time, like, SEO hasn't changed that much. And they sort of know the best practices are sort of the same, but how you go about doing them, uh, link building and uh, on-page best practices have evolved pretty dramatically, or at least in terms of the quality of everything that's required. Um, so it is crazy how much things have changed. And I think I uh, consider, knock on wood, consider myself lucky that kind of have seen think timing of different things have been useful um, for me specifically. Uh, and yeah, definitely. I think we were both probably still early to see a lot of the success of SEO and um, it's gotten increasingly more difficult and competitive. That's another thing, even though it hasn't changed, it's way more competitive and difficult. And obviously Google's eating some of our traffic recently. Yeah. Um, so all fun stuff we got going. Yeah, I think the uh, the funny thing about Penguin, I remember being around when it happened, but like for folks that are just now getting into the industry, that's like, that's, that's old news. That's, that's like, I'm, I'm grandpa sitting on the porch talking about the good old day, good old, <laughs> good yeah. old back in my day when, when Google Penguin came about. So yeah, I, yeah. I, we did a lot of link building then too. some, some of the paid variety and, and uh, some of the results of that in the early days were kind of painful kind of painful for sure. Yeah. I mean, it works super effectively and there were some pieces of it that I pulled into content marketing in terms of like email outreach and like how to think about scale and prospecting. So there is utility for sure. And I know some people still do it effectively. Um, some paid link building uh, and all the power to them, but uh, yeah, it's been, I like the value adding side of content marketing um, more than I did giving people money for a link. Right. Right. So let me ask you this. What drove you to found Siege Media? What was behind that? What made you go from corporate to the entrepreneurial side and, and deciding to found your own company? 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of touched on it, but it, I was internal at a great company that was entrepreneurial in nature mm -hmm. where uh, I built websites from scratch and like insurance and finance. So that kind of gave me a good base. And um, yeah, Penguin hit at one point and I was, yeah, that was painful to search and was still there after that and it was evolving, but I was kind of worrying like, are these lead gen sites that don't add that much value going to be around? I think I was wrong slightly in that um, lead gen sites can't add value, uh, these third party sites, but um, I'm kind of going on a tangent there. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, I was in house. I was blogging on the side the whole time. And I never thought to myself, I'm going to start my own company. It was more, I knew if I blogged, I, a positive outcome would happen from that. Like I would get career opportunities or build my personal brand rather. I would get career opportunities, job offers. And I had gotten a few clients on the side simply from doing that. And then uh, I got this boss who was just micromanaging me. And I was already sort of thinking about it, but we were basically that, that corporate feel that had now worked itself into the startup I so loved um, kind of triggered me to say, oh, worst case scenario, I'll try this agency thing for a little bit. And if it fails, I'm sure I can find another job. Um, because I had built that blogging and inbound uh, thing on the side. So <clears throat> what goes into making, making that jump? And I, I myself have thought many times about going solo and, and starting a company from scratch. And I think there's, in my experience, there's, um, I think there's just a certain bug or a gene or something about people that that tends to lean some people more towards the corporate side and some people more towards the entrepreneurial side and for myself personally I've tended to stay on the corporate and agency side uh, partially because I just have never had the guts to pull the trigger and go out go out on my own and take all of the risks that comes with starting your own company. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't think I deserve that. My, I, I worked hard on the side, I guess. Um, it was one reason it worked for me. It didn't feel that scary because I already had clients on the side. I generally recommend to nobody that they should just cold break and quit. Uh, everyone should kind of side hustle uh, if they can, obviously I, I was also lucky. I was younger. I didn't have a wife or kids. Um, and once you have those things, it makes it almost impossible to kind of get that going on the side unless they're really understanding. Um, so it didn't feel like as much of a risk. And I, to me, um, it, there's definitely probably some kind of gene in there of like, yeah, having someone tell me to do something that I didn't believe in. Mm -hmm. um, kind of triggered me to quit eventually, which maybe would have happened anyways, but yeah, that's kind of how, um, ended up there. Now, let me ask you this. So if you've, if you've ever seen the Sopranos, have you seen the Sopranos first off? Uh, I mean, I obviously know about it, but for some reason, okay. it's one of the series. Well, you can't see behind me. Uh, there's like, there's, I, I feel like, a. a, a what do you, what do you want to call it? Uh, a bunch of, a bunch of pictures mob, mob related. So obviously, obviously <laughs> affinity, uh, it's not a shrine or anything, but I have an affinity for mob related TV shows and movies. And sometimes the, these things come from, uh, 
come to me as, as thoughts. And one of the quotes from the Sopranos, Tony Soprano, the lead character who becomes the, the boss in the show, talks about what is it, he's talking to an underling and he's like, all due respect person, you've got no idea what it's like to be number one. Every decision you make affects every other decision and every other facet of every other thing. So talking to, and most of the people that I've talked with on this podcast are, have not been in the position of being the, the CEO and the leader of a, leader of a company. They've, they've just been your, your everyday, uh, I don't want to say run of the mill, but they've just been your, your kind of every, everyday SEOs. And, and I think the, the benefit of having, um, having you on is you do have that experience as, as both a founder and a CEO. So what is that like being, uh, being number yeah. one? <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it's, it's stressful for sure. I can't say that. Like I actually was just saying uh, we have this growth comment thing that I do as like a side project for people who um, run a run agencies or thinking about growing an agency. And I said in there, because people are stressed about losing a client or what have you. I'm like, once a month, it feels like there's just like, you go into this darkness uh, mm -hmm. or like you lose a client. Um, someone quits the team that can at times I get, it's gotten better, but like every time someone does something different, you, you that can be take personal offense to that. Cause it's like a punch to you a little bit. Um, yeah. Clients leave. Uh, and for some reason you don't have a lot of inbound from a client lead standpoint in a given month, I can go to this dark place. Like shit, everything is going to go to zero tomorrow. Um, so thankfully that doesn't knock on wood. It hasn't, none of those things have lasted. Uh, but I do think it's, I could be wrong. I'm sure everyone, all, every job has those roller coasters, but, um, I do think the lows are a little more aggressive. Uh, the highs are high for sure. And it's fulfilling watching people grow their careers and make an, and make an impact and um, grow the company. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, unfortunately. So, so I have a little bit of, I, I've obviously never been an executive or a CEO, so I don't know anything about it. But through osmosis, I had the, I had the um, opportunity to work with Will Schroeder at startups.com and he's um, definitely does a good job of explaining kind of the day-to-day -day of what it's actually like to to be the leader of a startup and to run a company and how sometimes solitary it can it can be um, you know as the as the founder and as the CEO and my question in in terms of having to be the one that goes to those those people for various things is that are there any I know the way that I think of CEOs. Is there anything on the other side that you think people think about you in terms of how you wished people would approach you? Because like when you're talking to a CEO or approaching a CEO, sometimes it can be a little intimidating and, and scary. And you're not sure like, do they really care about this information or do they not? Am I just telling them something that they don't really care about? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is partially on the the CEO or founder to make that feel not painful. Like something I try to do is personally give credit to people. And we have like a gratitude channel on Slack where I say, I really appreciate X person. Um, please 
uh, thank you for giving me this tough feedback. It helps us improve. And it's not someone who's like a director or what have you. It's someone who just joined the company. I think that encourages it. Um, I do think any CEO worth their salt will value the people that are willing to do that. Um, I think if you go to them and say, I could be wrong about this, I could be missing information, but this is something I've noticed. I think that's a good way of saying it versus just being like, this is wrong. Um, those different things I think can make, make a difference there. So how would in, in one of the things I, I know I personally struggle with it is uh, leveling up my recommendations to um, be less in the weeds and more on the level of what an executive is, is looking for and or cares about. Um, do you have any, you know, recommendations for people like me that are, you know, I'm doing SEO day to day and I'm looking to take this uh, whatever opportunity or present a, a deck or talk about results to you? Is there, is there a specific way that you would like to have things leveled up to you? Yeah, for, I mean, it probably depends on who, like if it was, you're trying to talk to your agency owner, that's probably different from a client, um, potentially. So I would say in that context, definitely speaking to the bottom line is good and asking like, and this is one thing we've been trying to improve over time is like give all of our managers, like manage revenue targets. Like I am managing whatever amount per month. This is my goal, what I need to get to. Um, that would be also a valued thing if you were trying to say, hey, I want to raise and you have your managed revenue numbers and there's also established tracks around those different numbers. Speaking to kind of what you're doing there, I think is what would help communicate um, moving things up and definitely talking to the bottom line in any kind of way and thinking about, I do think people at our agency who are cognizant of cost and like, uh, speaking that way and are trying to optimize for the bottom line of the business when they're operating, even though they're not technically running the P and L um, is something that I value. And I think not everyone is aware of, but um, I do find the people that are the most successful uh, for bigger companies are, are start understand those kind of like financial um, impacts. What are the biggest things that, go into running your company that people don't know behind the scenes in terms of challenges? What challenges do you run into that just nobody would ever know about? I wouldn't say that they wouldn't know about it, but um, random stuff we're going through right now is we're moving to a more enterprise size utilization tool. Like we, we had someone just updating a spreadsheet to say, Joe uh, is not utilized right now, or this is what we can fit. And one person at 75 people that became like an impossible task. So that has been a challenge, uh, just onboarding everyone and change at any decent size company size is agonizing. And we've realized that just changing. We were on base camp and moving to uh, 10,000 feet, which we like so far. I wouldn't say we love it. Um, it is that, uh, yeah, just stuff like that, cultural stuff, like you have to reinforce the same, but when you're 75 people, it just doesn't automatically become known. You have to say things over and over and over again. Um, so if you ever see someone sounds repetitive, sometimes that's just for the new people uh, or reminders, all, all that stuff is valuable. So it's not all about 
ping pong tables and, and more snacks in the break room culture that is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't love the, I mean, I think I wish we had more of that stuff actually, but, uh, yeah. but we don't have enough room in our offices. That's, but yeah, well, a lot that's of problem. <laughs> no yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's a nice problem to have. Um, right. but yeah. So let me ask you this one thing I saw probably six months ago on Twitter was, um, Will, Will Reynolds, uh, of, uh, Sear interactive. And he seems to, to do a, a good job as CEO, or at least like what comes through on the surface seems like there's some really innovative thinking about how to treat people. But one thing he brought up, um, that was in, incredibly, it resonated with me because I've gone through it. And in terms of being at an agency to see this happen to people was the idea of how painful it is as the leader of a company to, um, to have to lay people off or things like that, or go through riffs or whatever. Have you ever had to go through anything like that? Uh, knock on wood, we, we have not had to. Uh, so, so <laughs> yeah, we, we've had to let people go, um, and that's not, and not, and that, not... Yeah, and that's kind of also what I mean. So. For, for, for performance reasons, we've had to do that. Um, and yeah, we've, we've tried to... I, I mean, I definitely... Will is actually a mentor of mine, um, mm -hmm. I would say, and he's been valuable anytime I've had a great uh, question about anything. I know he's likely gone through it already. Mm -hmm. and he's been super gracious with his time. And I think that's part of it is just like, I think he genuinely cares. And I hope I genuinely care. People think I genuinely care. And um, doing right by people. And yeah, those things are never fun. But if you give people, it's all about communication, letting them know this is what's expected in the role. You're not doing this, giving them a chance to improve in the role, give them clear timeline. Um, and also sometimes it's our mistake too. And that, that's, what's a bummer to me sometimes is like we hired wrong and that's not for junior people. They don't understand what they're good at and what they're not. And they're just applying for everything. So sometimes you can hire someone who's a great person, but just not good for your role. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that sucks, honestly, because we put the person in a bad spot. So let me switch gears uh, and actually talk about marketing and not just running a business. So you guys have one hell of uh, a video content strategy uh, and, and just a regular content strategy. But I, I specifically want to focus on the video because you guys do an amazing job. You've got a really great YouTube channel. You have um, some really well-produced videos. You've got a set you bring in. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say celebrities, but like SEO celebrities, right? Um, people that are, that are well-known in our space. Um, you even did a video recently where it was a play off of the, the Hot Ones YouTube channel with you eating hot wings, um, which I, I can't even imagine. I like spicy food, but I don't think I would be able to do that. <laughs> Um, what goes into that? Like, how did you guys decide to commit? Because there's a, there is a certain level of commitment with doing that, the time it takes, the editing, the, the, the cost of setting up such a nice studio and producing, like what went into that for you? Yeah. So, I mean, our first, we have an internal website that we work on, um, that you knew, I knew, I knew it had to have video or we thought had, should have video as part of its strategy. And then I knew from business development standpoint, it would be a differentiator and that would justify the cost to be able to say, um, it'll be good to, to have that 
that work. And also as we've scaled, I realized, yeah, my time has become more limited. I used to write all the time as Siege was growing. I just can't even find the like focus time to do that anymore. So it's, it's useful to just be able to sit down, talk, and have it come across in a high quality format. Mm-hmm. Um, we do also do photo shoots and video shoots for our clients. So that was the secondary reason is we were playing a long game to, from a content marketing standpoint, have the service offerings available to our team. Um, so it's kind of like a multi-tiered strategy where I knew we could start doing it for ourselves, offer the service for other people. Um, we have the studio for that reason for client shoots um, and things like that. But yeah, that all kind of worked together and also for my time. So it really is a business development cost. Um, because of the multiple places we can use that resource, that's why it's kind of made sense. So for those people that like they're thinking about uh, a video strategy and getting serious about it, like what went into your, like what went into setting up your studio and how do you get, uh, you know, our version of celebrities to come to you and be on, on site with you and to, to share information, like what all goes into that in terms of the logistics yeah, so uh, in terms of when we're talking to each other on set, so that's actually just our main office. Um, we did install a little floor to create a nice stage area, mm-hmm. uh, but it's actually where everyone works, and we just ask people either if they want to attend or work from home. Um, we have a Brian Dean episode, which kind of gives a good context for the full office um, where it's zoomed out, and we had a lot of people in the office in that situation. Uh, we do just reserve a space for photo shoots uh, that we use sometimes and is where the hot ones thing was, was done. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not overly complicated. There's de- there definitely were sunk costs involved. And that was also one of the bets as well is like, you got to take investment risks on some of this stuff. If you want to stand out um, the hot ones episode was just a random conversation with someone on our team that we should do this. And then our video team was like, we should record it. And I was like, sure. <laughs> so sometimes that happens too. I wasn't like, we're going to get leads from this, but um, it's fun content. We can use it for careers and recruiting that hopefully siege culture isn't terrible. Um, How hot are the hot wings? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, pretty hot. I mean, I, the, the last one was pretty, was not that hot, but it, yeah. If you, anyone has watched the hot one show, um, it's great and entertaining. Yeah and have, they have real celebrities on there. Um, and yeah, they have, so it was a good challenge and fun to do. I, I, I don't take my medical advice, but if you like hot wings at all, it's a fun thing <laughs> to do with someone just to see if you can do it. So I guess to stay on the video topic, I've got, I think two more questions that I, that I want to dive into one on, on the equipment side, like what types of equipment are you guys utilizing to, to, go through the process of shooting and editing and and everything that goes into producing your videos. Do you have any like specific things that you recommend? Yeah. I I mean, I could ask our video team to give you a list for the show notes after this. They specifically recommend things for us. We definitely have a few uh, professional cameras. We often rent a third camera depending on the shoot complexity. Um, some client stuff will rent, um, that is kind of common just cause everything is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did install lights in our San Diego office, which is where all video stuff is that looks down on the stage. Um, so that's a piece of it. We definitely have mics, uh, that we use and have bought multiple of, um, 
some standing lights that are more portable. Uh, so it definitely adds up in, in total costs. You can do it, I think, cheaper, quicker. Some people, if you're trying to do video, you could do, you could hire a freelance videographer to kind of do it quick um, and record maybe five videos in a day or do as much as you can in a day if you're trying to do it in a little quicker, dirtier way. Um, that That's a possibility too. And then again, for people that are thinking either they're, they're thinking about setting up their own video video strategy or YouTube strategy, or they're working on behalf of, of a client, do you have any advice that you would give in terms of how you grew your channel, how to get more views, how to optimize anything, anything there that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. So one of the things that has worked greatly for us is just multiple touch points. Uh, just so many ways we can use the content. So we use, the audio version of it for a podcast feed because it's natural. We're just telling it's just me for anyone who doesn't know whether it's just me talking to someone else. So it naturally works for that format to just be podcast only. Uh, we also do a transcript of many of our videos, not always the interviews cause they're just 40 minutes long and that is really expensive, but you can spend like $10 with speech pad. I'll do a talking head video where it's just me giving tips for like seven minutes and SpeechPad um, will be a nice transcript. So if someone doesn't want to listen to it or can't listen to audio at that point, they can just scan our post and read that copy instead uh, to get multiple reports of ROI from that. Um, LinkedIn definitely is huge on video. So embedding video on LinkedIn versus sharing via YouTube is useful. They also like videos that are under 10 minutes. Uh, you can't post videos over 10 minutes as of this recording. So that's, a big piece of it as well, just because, you know. So you're saying actually upload the file instead of put it on YouTube and then share. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And that's one thing that's huge about video today as well. And just knowing where all these networks are going is increasingly everyone wants you to stay on network. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can embed something and not even push to YouTube, that is a positive and probably is only going to increasingly going to be a positive. So Yeah. Do, do you ever feel, and I know I would, um, and I felt pressure sometimes doing this podcast to, to, to have to feel like I have an answer for everything, or I know everything, or I'm the biggest subject matter expert out there when I know, I'm, I know internally I'm not. Um, as the face of many of your videos, do you ever feel any level of pressure with with doing the video being the face giving the advice is there ever anything going on behind the scenes where like you have nerves like the rest of us probably would i mean i definitely do i think what what matters is kind of speaking to what you know so i wouldn't go on i'm not going to do a video on um schema.org implementation or like really advanced technical. Like I'm a content, I'm a content and link building SEO at the core. So if you just, I only will come up with ideas <clears throat> around things I just know that I know. And I think if you, that's, and also I, I've heard this and told people this with public speaking, it's like, you can't be that nervous if you actually know what you're, you're talking about. If you're talking about something you don't know what you're talking about, that's where you get nervous. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, there's going to be nerves the first time he's doing anything, but that would be my end point. It's just talk about what you have experience doing and you'd be surprised about how many people have the exact same. Like if uh, that's one of my things is if I haven't heard someone say this before, that's a video idea I'll do. Um, 
and yeah, has it not been said a lot or maybe I have a different take, but that's kind of my trigger point is like, have I not heard this exact thing? Um, and that's when I'll do a video on it. Cool. So let me switch gears one more time. Uh, Siege, uh, in addition to your awesome video strategy, you're primarily, you do SEO, but I think with more of a content marketing focus, what do you love about content marketing? What is it about content marketing? Yeah, I like content marketing because uh, I, I think we add a lot of value. Um, definitely, it started with link building, but as the industry has evolved, what's really been most effective is those clients where we can do the top funnel, middle funnel content that ranks for stuff and we generate links to. So it's fulfilling basically having the goal to say, if we do our job, we built the best thing that exists for that thing, and we were making the internet better um, by that. So we're making the world better through our content. Uh, so that's fulfilling to see, and um, also seeing our work continually improve and move forward. That's kind of an enjoyable part of, of what we do. Yeah, so, so being in, I, I feel like, part of being a multifaceted and multi, you almost can't be in SEO without doing and playing in um, certain, certain areas, uh, technical content, local, international, like you have to be a jack of a jack of all trades. So I, I feel like um, content and content strategy is definitely something that sometimes get, gets confused for doing SEO sometimes crosses over and sometimes is, um, completely, uh, completely separate. So I, I guess my question is when I'm, when I'm working on clients, there are some times where clients and even myself, I think of content and content strategy as almost like blogging, but then there are other clients that honestly, they need things like a revamp of their product pages. And those are two different mindsets and two completely different uh, types of content and and in some cases and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit sometimes it can be boring as hell <laughs> uh, writing product page content but 100% necessary so I, I guess how do you guys define define it in that sense and do you all run into um, kind of the same things that, that I've been running into where there's a, a mix between blogging and writing more traditional content in sometimes how boring that can be. <laughs> yeah. So we do primarily, I would say like 95% of our work is top and middle funnel. So right. it could be on the blog. It could be like an education center. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the most common piece, but we do say like we can help you with bottom funnel pages, which is basically what you're describing is like mm -hmm. the product pages. Um, so we'll definitely help with that as well. Most clients will have a version of that already, uh, at least at our client type. Uh, there is a smaller business size that maybe we're doing everything where they need those changes for sure. Um, we often go to people like Joel Klecky of Business Casual Copywriting. So uh, if you haven't talked to him, you should have him on this. But he's a um, great copywriter and he gets SEO and bottom funnel. And I think that's a way to get out of the boringness is like, I think sales copywriting can be really uh, – interesting if done well um of course combining and getting like to a certain word count for seo can sometimes be a little challenging and forced uh, but that's the way i think it's interesting and how i spin it to our team when they have to work on a page like that it's like this is an opportunity for you to add a new sales copywriting skill mm -hmm. um, while still applying the seo side so one of the challenges 
that I have found with top funnel and, and middle of the funnel content is in, in many cases, there's a, a, a lot of volume uh, associated with that. So, you know, as, as an SEO doing keyword research and seeing some of those opportunities, it, it can be kind of eye popping and it's like, yes, let's go after this. But then, you know, if I'm putting my client hat on, there are times when it becomes difficult um, to really prove out that there's going to be uh, a, an ROI that is associated with writing uh, a piece of content, for example, that's really high funnel. So how do you help, uh, one, get to a place where that high and mid funnel content is, is generating revenue for their main site, which a lot of times they have their, like you said, a content hub or an educational hub that supports their main site, which is the thing that they sell or the thing that they do or what they're trying to do to, to, to garner a conversion. How do you get there? How do you help people get there? And how do you help people understand the value of mid and high funnel content in relation to getting to that bottom line, which is ultimately what matters? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for a lot of clients in the top funnel, we're often tasked to do that because it also can be a link building source. So links are very clear bottom funnel impact, even though it, we have to create something top funnel to make it, uh, to generate the link, we know that that will impact the bottom funnel pages a percentage of the time. So then the search volume generated by that top funnel asset um, is just sugar on top at that point. Uh, so even if it, it can definitely be diff, difficult to attribute things back because of that. But if it, the first goal is links and then the ranking and the, the, the brand awareness from that is just the sugar on top, it makes it a simpler equation. Um, with middle funnel, very often, if it truly is middle funnel, the ROI is at least surface level apparent because a good percentage of those people will actually buy. Um, not as much as a bottom funnel page, but if it mm -hmm. is there, uh, we definitely recommend clients work with some kind of retargeting strategy or social promotion strategy we're actually working on building out a version of that internally ourselves um, to add more value for our clients. But very often um, that's recommended is to make sure that they're leveraging some kind of retargeting strategy off our top and middle funnel to kind of lead them down um, that process. Yeah. The, uh, the old one plus one equals three in terms of combining uh, what you're doing in organic with a, with a paid strategy. And I've, um, you know, I've also found in the past that anytime you're, you're doing retargeting, um, organic tends to perform better uh, just in, in general with, uh, you know, raising brand awareness and maybe they don't convert right away, but maybe later on uh, somebody will think to search your brand name and maybe they didn't think before to do that. So uh, usually uh, pretty effective when those two run together. Um, I'm going to switch gears one last time. Um, so failures and, and, uh, successes, um, definitely want to talk about areas where you feel like that, that you've had great success either as a company or on a particular, uh, with a particular client that you've helped. And then maybe something on the other side where you just, you failed, you fell on your face. <laughs> uh, Let's see. I mean, we definitely have some good case studies on our site. Um, I just a broad swath. I kind of touched on it. It's like those clients who have top funnel search volume and link opportunity. And I think you, you were touching on it at the end there. It's like, I don't want to do anything today that 
I mean, I don't want to say I, it, it never happens, but where we only have one touch point of ROI, which is generally links only. Like I want to be impacting brand awareness or referrals. And I think in general for us as SEOs, it's the industry evolves that makes sense. Um, so that has been kind of our bread and butter is those top funnel clients where you have some search volume and brand awareness. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a high level, but I think my biggest success is, uh, the thing I have the most pride about is helping our team grow and having a lot of people that started entry level at siege and now are director level and can only keep growing. And, um, that we've given 75 jobs to people. Um, that's, that's my biggest pride, uh, moment, uh, biggest failure. I guess I kind of sort of touched on some of the things earlier. I want to say it's the biggest failure, but, um, I definitely am pretty bummed when I realized retroactively, we kind of hired a good person into the wrong role, um, and had to let them go. And all sometimes, uh, we have to, I make similar mistakes with clients too. And I'm sure everyone does taking the wrong client and then mm -hmm. they churn because you took on the wrong client, not because necessarily you're bad at what you do, but you just took the wrong sign the someone who couldn't see ROI from you. Yeah. Um, I do think that's a, that's a very real thing. Having um, a lot of times in, in agency life, it's clients breaking up with the agency um, and very rarely is it the agency breaking up with the with the client, but there are times where it is just it, it for one reason or another it becomes um, can become a toxic relationship, and that's not talked about a lot um, because uh, you know in a lot of cases agencies are just chasing the next deal uh, or willing to you know bring on a client just to bring in the the revenue, and sometimes don't necessarily consider is this a, a client a good fit with our team, our culture? Is it going to be a good match? Are we going to be able to help them? Uh, that's another, I think, important question that uh, sometimes uh, clients come to you and maybe you just, you're not going to be able to help them or you're not going to be able to make them, make them happy sometimes. And uh, it's, a, I think, a rarely talked about thing in, in agency life, but it's very real for sure. Yeah. And I mean, it, it behooves both parties to not sign that dot bottom line. And I get it. It's one of those things where if you don't have the lead volume, if you're struggling, I mean, the companies that the same companies that agency who might have to do layoffs at some point, like they sign those contracts sometimes because they want to keep food on the table for everybody. Sure. Um, so no, no one's at fault. Obviously all you can do is like do your best and, um, try and get to the point where you can say no to people. And the, the other thing that you, that you said that I found interesting was um, your biggest success being watching other people kind of come up within your organization and, um, and, and grow. And I, I, I think I share that sentiment and that in my career, um, I feel like I've, I've worked on a lot of really great and really well-known clients and, and, um, have driven a, a lot of really positive business performance. And in being in our industry where it's heavily results-based, you would think that those are like my best memories of my career and the things that like really get me up in the morning. And there's a certain amount of pride and adrenaline and everything that goes into when you see your client perform well. But I would say the biggest thing for me has been being able to take my experience and translate it to 
down to folks and then watching those folks kind of grow and blossom. Uh, there's nothing like it really there, there isn't. And, uh, you know, I've now across two companies worked with some of those, uh, some of those same people that, that I remember way back when they first started. And now they're doing things like manager, senior manager, director <laughs> level. And it's so cool to watch and to know like that, that I had any part in that. Um, it's, it's amazing to, to think about. And like my, uh, honestly, like I can even feel it now. My heart like just swells with pride more so than any client that I've ever, ever worked on. It's, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, there is a, I mean, it's pros and cons of our industry too. It's like, you don't have, and I've, I say it sometimes when I'm like working on a house project or something, which is my wife probably wish would happen more often, but it's like, we don't have something physical to touch in what we do. So it's like in some way, I mean, obviously we're interacting with people is going to be fulfilling. I think no matter what industry you are in, but especially to be able to see someone progress and get more confident and uh, grow their skills. Yeah. It, it's an awesome thing. So where do you think our industry is, is going right. Uh, I feel like uh, when you when you founded Siege Media, it was going towards content marketing. Um, where do you feel like it's going next? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely evolving. Where Google is eating into the traffic and things like that. I mean, what I'm working on, um, it, and I think it behooves everybody is just to be multifaceted. Um, is I want to make sure, yeah, I mean, content marketing will always be a thing in, in some capacity, but just to continue to paint the ROI story versus just even just search or just links, um, the more things you can add to that, the better. So what I want to do, and I would suggest of other people is just build out that portfolio of like different ways that add value. Um, like I mentioned social marketing, like I in paid marketing off content marketing. I'm, that's an initiative I'm working on right now. And uh, I think people who want to be sustained will be able to show multiple, not just search, but also, Hey, this search content marketing thing also impacted our social bottom line. So if you're only looking at the search P and L you'll look less exciting in terms of a ROI number. But if you can also say, Oh, I generated maybe even 20, 15, 20% off social, of that total budget, that's still, if you bolt that on to search now, which might be 15 to 20% smaller in five to 10 years, that I think makes us more sustainable. Um, and also I think that's just as we touched on earlier, is like what is driving website success today anyways? Yeah, and uh, it's, I think attribution um, in, incredibly important as well. And I, I, I can think of an, an example that is is for me going on right now where we're we're working with a client and we're driving record like record amounts of traffic a lot of it's like uh, mid and high funnel but that traffic is the the conversions coming off of that traffic year over year aren't necessarily increasing at the same rate that the that the traffic is which is um it's a little bit painful to watch and and when you look at it on the surface it it seems like a not great story but then when you consider and and start looking at other channels things like paid search budget growing and expanding and consider that paid search is way up and, and you really think about the whole picture well hell it could be that this increase in SEO in organic traffic is having an effect on the performance of paid search, which is allowing them 
to build their capacity and garner more, uh, you know, closing more leads through through that channel. So in a roundabout way, we're we're doing our job. But if you were to look at it just on the surface, that would be a, you know a, a not greater or a bleak bit of a bleak picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and I, I would agree with that. I mean, definitely. It's probably it was black and white before, um, but the more we can tell the story, and it's going to become a harder story to tell, but sure. we got to get good at knowing how to tell that story. So the, the last thing I like, to, well, two last things that I like to end with. One is imagine uh, you're giving, and you do that, I'm sure you do this all the time, people uh, that, are, that are new to the industry, and I feel like maybe you kind of touched on some of the advice you would, you would give, but... Uh, new to the industry, they're 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 starting today. They're getting into SEO. They don't know what to expect. They're they're you know, green as hell. Um, what advice would you give somebody that is starting in this industry today? Yeah, I mean, I I do. I'm biased because it's worked for me. I do think building a personal brand over time can be useful. Uh, no matter what you do over time, maybe you'll find out you hate SEO in five years. But if you're like know you're going to be in tech in some way the connections you build will eventually be positive um so working on that building accounts on twitter linkedin making i also say work to, to really be the most effective networker work towards being a person of value that people want to network with then mm -hmm. you'll find it's a lot easier um ask a ton of questions that's what I find the people that do best for us are like, you can tell that they are just generally interested in learning and care and care about that. Um, and that almost matters more to me early uh, that people are actually clearly showing that they want to learn, even if they're wrong about some insights that they care enough to ask a question shows a lot of passion and um, we'll, f we'll find ways to reward them. So yeah, asking questions, um, learning, making long-term investments in things like your own personal um, business brand, I think all can be positive things. And don't be afraid. Uh, Ross said it's okay. Walk into his office and ask him questions. Don't be afraid that he's the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an office actually. Oh, so okay. Well, anyways, close enough. Walk uh, to my desk. Yeah. Walk to his desk. Um, and then the, the other thing that I like to that I like to mention, and I mentioned this in the, the last episode with JP Sherman, was that I feel like we're all standing on the shoulders of the people that came before us. And um, we're all here because people 10 or 15 years ago, um, or you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, um, decided to, to create a, a little thing called, called SEO. And before that, it was the internet and, and so on and so forth. But the, the reason that we have jobs today is because there were amazing people that came before us that did amazing things. So for you, who have been the, the people that have helped you progress in, in your career and, and that are the reason that you're where you're at today? Yeah, uh, Sujin Patel was huge for me. Um, he was an inspiration as well. He had, I was his first employee at an agency, so that helped. It kind of gave me the entrepreneurial mindset and let me kind of run process and stuff like that. So um, I'm really thankful for him. Uh, we touched on Will Reynolds earlier. He's been helpful for me and um, generally just helping me out, even though in a minor way we're competitive, like that, that shows a lot about Will. Um, 
to have that be the case. And definitely lots of people in the industry, like search engine land, some early speaking gigs I got from them. Um, and Elizabeth, I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong, but Olmowski, I think, who is the editor there, got me a speaking gig. That helped a lot, which, for which I'm greatly appreciative. And actually, uh, as one tip to share with people, I mean, I got this from Will that I did do, and, I, and this makes me think I should do it again, is you just take some time and just have thank you cards and like write out a note to people um, to say what he's thankful. He's thankful for how they've contributed to his, uh, his path. So I've done that a few times inspired by Will. Um, so I would suggest that for anybody uh, as well. Yeah, people, people always love the, the idea that you took time. And uh, in this day and age when everything's on computers and typing and so impersonal to actually sit down and for 30 seconds or a minute just think exclusively about that person and um, write a handwritten note, that goes along. It's, it's old school but it really goes a long way. Um, we've, we've done that within search discovery and it's been, um, I, I found it incredibly, um, I can't think of the right word, but for me, it's, it's impressed. It's impressed me when someone has taken the time to, to do that for me. It made me, made me really, really happy. Um, yeah, so definitely appreciate you taking the, taking the time. I know you've got to run <laughs> late for your next meeting uh thank you for being so awesome and um and so candid and for being willing to come on i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me jacob thanks for doing this it's a great thing that you're doing and um yeah appreciate it have a good one ross all right you too bye bye Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page 2 podcast or Anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated if you're an seo who would like to be interviewed i'd love to have you simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up until next time happy optimizing